Welcome to Hey, great shot. This is the Great Shot Podcast, a Cracked Rackets and Tennis Channel Podcast Network production. My name is Alex Gruskin. Ladies and gentlemen, we just had ourselves a day one of these 2024 ITA Division I Men's National Team Indoor Championships. Thus, of course, on today's show, you've got another national indoor-centric edition of The Deciding Point, where we're going to break down all eight of our matches from today's round of 16 battles. Of course, joining me on the podcast to help break them all down, as he does each and every year we cover this event, is a man you all know know best as the forefather of the college tennis ranks formula predictions never far from the listed UTR the lean mean Michigan Wolverine the professor the man who has been locked in since 9 a.m. right alongside of myself Mike Cation Daniel Westoff and all of you fans and simply put last but not least a man I would refuse to do this particular podcast without maybe my favorite episode of each year that we do across any of our Crack Rackets podcasts coming up now as I am joined by the professor, Chris Halioris. Chris, hey, great shot. Am I being hyperbolic or was it really that good of a day at these 2024 national indoors? Uh, it's always that good of a day, but anytime you can come and look, we came into this thinking, I'm not really sure how many upsets there are going to be. And the first day, you know, generally you're eight, nine, seven, ten, maybe. But we had three of the eight matches go to the lower seed today. So uh, outstanding day. Ugh, and I on mean, top of that, even the ones that didn't, like Bama winning a doubles point over Ohio. I mean, everything, everything about today was great. Whatever you were looking for today, you got. Although I would point out, I don't think we had a single 4-3 on the day. Nothing actually nope. finished there, yet plenty of matches were headed towards that direction and featured the sort of roller coaster-like twists and turns that just make this sport better than not only any other level of tennis we have in the world, it just makes this sport the best we have, period. And again, as I've alluded to, what we're going to do today for all of you college tennis fans who might have missed out on any of our action is break down all eight of our round of 16 battles. We're going to try and stick with some semblance of organization, meaning we're going to break down, uh, we're going to break down, excuse me, round of 16, round of 16 quarterfinal and go from there. Uh, yeah, we got a lot of great tennis to talk about. So Chris Hallioris, let's just get right into it. Our biggest upset of the day is simply put where we have to start. Have I talked up Number 14, Arizona, with plenty of sufficiency throughout the course of this year. I absolutely have. Did I expect them to come out and beat Texas 4-2? Did I expect them to do it by winning five first sets in singles along with the doubles point? I certainly did not. And look, there are a lot of different directions we're going to go in discussing this match. But Chris Halioris, as close as it got... That's the headline to me. Arizona ran out to this massive lead, 
And they never let it go. So, so impressive from the Wildcats. Chris, I know you were locked into this one from start to finish. It was at a different site than the site I am currently at. But tell me what you see. Break down the mechanics. I mean, look, well, right out of the gate, uh, uh, you know, a couple, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say easy, but not, you know, no breakers, no seven fives. That's a couple wins in in doubles at six three and six four uh, on three and two. Uh, I mean, Spazerian Harper doing Spazerian Harper. I mean, you just kind of felt like if you were going to win the doubles point, those were the two you were going to have to win, and they do it. But look, what was more surprising than even winning the doubles point, people have beaten Tech. I mean, they lost the doubles point to UTSA, I think. Uh, They've lost some doubles points, but then they come out kind of like we expect from the Ohio State crowd when they lose it, and they just, they normally just, all right, we roll. Man, you talked about it right on the lead-in. Five first sets. The only first set that they actually get in Cleve Harper is the one that ends up being the clinch against them. So they got nothing in straight sets. They dropped five first sets, and Arizona was on the board quick. And it is not you did not expect to see Colton Smith come out and quickly get take a first set over Spaziri and then Jay Friend over Braswell. Those top two spots were the areas you felt like Texas had to have the advantage here and that if Arizona was going to do it, they were going to do it down low. But yeah, they just blitzed them. Christensen 6-2 in the first. Strom, that Strom-GA match looked like it was probably going to be the last one. They were the last first set to finish as you would, as we've come to expect from a Gustav-Strom match. But boy, it was, it was looking like all Arizona. And then at the ends of the second set's that's when it started to look like, oh, okay, Texas is finally showing up. Arizona only closes one of the five first sets they got in straight sets with Nick Lagayev over PY at four. And all hold of on, a sudden- Hold on. I just want to start you th- stop you there, though, real quick. Oh, my God. Like, of all the pieces in this Arizona lineup, you know the one we had- I mean, Christensen at six is maybe yeah. a discussion for a different time. Yeah, but four like, and six is probably it, yeah. Lagayev over Hoyerall was, like, sacrilegious to even suggest in the offseason. Had you done so, I would have laughed in your face, Chris Halioris. But he just beat a guy in PY in straight sets who maybe outside of Micah Braswell has been the second best player in this Texas singles lineup thus far. Certainly second best by positional value and... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off because you're doing an exceptional job of laying out the course of action. I want you to continue from there, but I just had to stop you there because if you're circling MVPs or most surprising result of the results we saw, that is unequivocally number one on the list. Not just the little guy of win, but he did it in straights, Chris. That's nuts. Yeah, and the only one. And, and you know, from where I left off, that's where if you're Arizona— all of a sudden, you that for them in hindsight now, knowing that they won, for them to have stuck with it so well, only closing one of those out, and then look, Spaziri and Braswell managed to come back in their second sets and take them, and then they're up like 4-1 and 5-1 in the third really quick, and all of a sudden we're going, oh, wow, that's going to be, it's going to be a two-all match in a hurry, which which got there. And now all the pressure comes on the other guys, but then instantly Strom jumps out 5-2 on GA. And that was huge for them because they were both going to be battles 
down at five and six. And for them to get Strom to put that point on the board and make it 3-2 was all kinds of relief for them. Because as it turned out, Hoyerall and Harper go to a breaker on five, and they're at 3-2 in the third on six. And Lord knows where, where that match is going. It that that was a monster one. And then and then for uh, you know, double H turned triple H to be the guy that clinches it for them seven six in a, in a breaker. Wow. I I mean just unbelievable fight from them to you know to get out to the lead to look like they were about to give it up and then to hold on and finish it out i mean great great effort from the wildcats remarkably impressive so uh, i i couldn't agree with you more and you know again you do have to give a little bit of a shout out to texas who dug themselves about as big of a hole as could humanly be dug in this match and very nearly very nearly grinded their way out. Obviously, Elliot Spaziri, you're going to ride with him no matter what the scenario is. He could be down a set. He can be down a set and a break. You're not quitting on Elliot until you see him knocked out officially. Obviously, Spiz able to come back three-set win. Micah Braswell's playing as well at his position as any player is playing at their position across the country. But, Chris, again, I know this team didn't have Seam Waldeep. They didn't have Jonah Braswell in singles. Two guys who certainly you expect to see, if healthy, in the singles lineup come May. They lost to this team at 3-4-5. and five. And maybe here's the better way of saying it. Arizona beat this Texas team at 3-4-5. and five. To hear Triple H, our boy Herm, um, drop an F-bomb like in, in the post-match press conference. You got to just go for it. Like... That's that was, what this team did today. They that was unbelievable. went for it, Chris Halioris. And, oh, like, okay, can I take a victory lap? Is it time? Do I get to say, like, this is why I had all this faith in Arizona? It's simply because they got the dog in them. I saw them lose that round of 16 match to Ohio State last year. I don't know many teams who could have put forward that sort of effort, that sort of fight against those Buckeyes in Columbus. This team was due for this sort of caliber win, right? They had done everything but this at a national event. They had gotten to Sweet 16s. They had been in the mix for conference title runs, all these different things. But now it is a tone-setting victory for the Arizona Wildcats, Chris Halioris. And while I do want any final thoughts you have on them, certainly I think we've celebrated them enough, it has to be said, this is a disaster for Texas. I mean, it's one thing to lose to Virginia at home in your opening match of the season. It's the opening match of a season. I don't really care what happens there. This is a match they won last year twice at the National Indoors, beating Ohio State, beating Michigan from the scenarios that they were. And, you know, again, it like this team is just the ultimate yo-yo ma. Shout out to the violin player, Chris, because, you know, 2021, they win all the four threes. 2022, they can't get a break to go their way. 2023, they're back in the mix. They're number one all season long. And now we have the first six weeks of 2024. It's very clear we are nowhere near seeing the best of these Longhorns quite yet, Chris Halliores, but I defer to you. Final thoughts on this match from the Texas perspective. If you have any lingering Arizona thoughts, obviously feel free to mix them in as well. Yeah, you know, I'm I'm just left sort of, well, 
my my two takes from the Texas perspective are one exactly what we said coming into the match that we haven't seen we still haven't seen and that is all of the guys firing at the same time and in fact I'd make the argument that today we didn't really see any of them firing we've you know we said coming in in the preview looks they've had everybody look good at some point in the season but never all of them together I'm not even sure. I mean, the two guys that put points on the board had to go three sets after dropping the first. I wouldn't say that anybody looked all that great today, but I think my bigger concern is what you touched on, and that is if if those guys, and still, that top four should be ridiculous. Spiz, Braswell, Bailey, Bailey, and then doubles. They should almost be, you know, like the old wake team. Yeah, whatever. Give me, give me one, two, three. And yeah, I'll find another one, whether it's dubs or somewhere else. This is, this should be ridiculously easy for them, but if they're not going to do it up there, they can't afford to be missing both CM Waldeb and Jonah Braswell. And when they, and you know, no disrespect to Lucas Brown coming into play six, but that's not the guy. If you're a Texas fan that you want to be seeing in the lineup at six, because that means you're missing Jonah Braswell. You're missing CM Waldy and that's not good. And that's my, that's probably my bigger concern. Uh, you know, for some of these teams, when I'm looking at them in indoors and we'll get to it in the Virginia side of the story, but it was kind of my, my outlook for Virginia coming in was, Hey, was Montez going to be in there? My outlook here is how healthy are some of these guys but I felt like this team should have been better prepared to be able to suffer because those guys are a little bit lower in the lineup to, to stomach something like that. And they still didn't do it. So it's concerning. Yeah. I, it's a tough loss. I mean, again, PY should never lose a set in, a match in straights at the number four spot. He knows that that's not beating a, you know, beating a dead horse here by saying that out loud. I, I mean, again, for Spiz and Braswell to fight back the way they did, so impressive. But in no world, I don't care if you like. I've seen Lucas Brown play; he's got a real level. In no world should Texas lose five first sets ever, ever, ever. Period. Period. Right? Like it—that's the discussion here, and it's a credit to Arizona who went out and took them. But that's a horrible loss for Texas. Again, a team with all sorts of aspirations, a team that we were having legitimate conversation. I'm just done doing preseason podcasts, maybe, Chris Hellyors, because <laughs> I, I you know, Pepperdine women, North in 2022, North Carolina women this year, Texas men this year. We make these grandiose predictions, these grandiose statements, Chris Hellyors, and they turn out meaning like they don't mean just well, I, it's I just unbelievable. I wouldn't say that because you know what happens every year is we do them if we could just skip the entire season and fast forward to when it's all over and we look back at where we put things preseason and where they ended up they generally end up pretty damn close. The problem is everything in the middle like the teams that you say are going to be so good you know half of them struggle to get going and it you know it takes them till April to find that rhythm. And yes, because they had all that talent on paper, eventually they get there for the most part. There's always going to be an exception to the rule, but but they get there, but it sure is fun watching the path to get there. And this is definitely an interesting path for Texas. I still have no doubts we're going to see this team, you know, in the final four come May, but boy, are they taking an interesting path to get there. Yeah, I, I mean... I think, actually, I feel I have no problems with any pods we do, like teams ranked 4 through 10. 
we're just going to say here are our top three teams, and we're not going to talk about them anymore because, yeah, parody is the name of the game. Again, such impressive, such impressive tennis uh, from Arizona. This is a signature victory for head coach Clancy Shields in the program, a victory that's been, dare I say, half a decade in the making. Again, in the COVID era, 2021 onwards, Many programs have risen. Few have risen more than the Arizona Wildcats' signature victory. They advanced to the quarterfinals of the National Indoors, where a date with Wake Forest awaits. Now, ultimately, Wake Forest six one, uh, excuse me, four one victory over Michigan. They get three straight set victories to close out that win. But given the Wolverines were without Nino Aaron Schneider. Chris, I thought this match was much closer than perhaps you might have anticipated. First of all, they lost the doubles point. This is the best doubles Michigan has played all season long. And it comes down to a couple of breakers. Ultimately, Pau Tachi, 9-7 decision at 3 to clinch along with the 6-2 win from Maroney and Thompson at 2. The theme of this match, Chris Halioris, was just... Wake Forest success in the biggest moments. They go 3-0 and in breakers in this match, but perhaps more broadly, it's the fact that from 5-1 down in the first, Filippo Moroni flips and earns a 7-6 first set at that number one spot. That DK Suresh grinds out that 11-9 second set breaker to clinch over Jacob Bickersteth. Now, obviously, you know, uh, for guys like, uh, excuse me, there are straight set wins I'm overlooking here. Luca Pau at the number six spot, uh, I don't even know his first name, but Tachi at four with the four and four win. Is it Luciano? I feel like he's yep. a Luciano. Yeah, I just yep. – I didn't want to be, like, typecasting him as, like, a Luciano because his last <laughs> name's Tachi. I was like, but I think his name is Luciano. Um, anyways, all of that is to say, Chris, like, Wake Forest was good. Best match of Will Cooksey's season. He's up 6-3, 5-3. Wasn't able to finish. Patorn Hunchakaikel ensures it's not a sweep for Wake Forest. He was up 3-3. Three and three. Had Bickerstaff taken that second set, had Gavin Young closed out his first set, like, this this match looked like it was going 4-3, Chris Halliores. I know it was a 4-1 win for Wake Forest, but dare I say... Of all the four, I don't know, this like, it just felt like a really national indoorsy 4-1 score. Does that make sense? Where it's like, yeah, it finished 4-1, but everything was pretty good. Yeah, and it, like you said, it very easily could have gone 4-2, 4-3. Look, Cooksey served for the match, didn't get it, uh, and Coons broke him for, uh, for to get the 5-2 five, five, or 5-3. It finished at 5-3, but that could have been two points on the board. And like you said, it, it came, it really felt like, this match came down, or you know, the match being able to be a long one came down to that breaker between Suresh and Bickersteth on two that Suresh takes 11-9. If he doesn't get that and Bickersteth managed to get, manages to get that, Cooksey's still up a break, probably putting that second point on the board for Michigan. And all of a sudden we're in a 3-2 match with courts one and two still going. And they were just barely, you know, they were just barely into the second and would have had a full set to go uh, in the third on two. We would have been in for a long one there had that not happened. But Suresh, Suresh closes it out. Uh, and I'll tell you what, I, I got to give you some props, Gruskin. I love, I love these player intros that were popping up on the stream. I also learned from listening to these player intros that... Luciano Tachi is actually Luciano Taki, and I cannot wait till he wins. No, 10. I can't wait for ten matches in a row so I can call him the Red Hot Flaming Taki. 
I mean, come on. <laughs> I knew you were going there. I could have, I could have outlined that joke uh, coming miles and miles away. Um, yeah, I agree. By the way, I and I appreciate you giving me options. Um, more broadly, I apologize. Westoff's texting me, so I'm a little distracted here. Got to focus. I'm locked back in. I promise, listeners. Um, I appreciate you giving me credit. All ITA. Uh, like shout out to them. Do you want me to? Um, I mean, can I just give you a quick story? It's a spoiler, but you want to hear a great story. Absolutely. So we were playing the Whisper game on Media Day, which if you don't know what that is, one teammate is wearing headphones that is blasting music in their ears. The other are trying to mouth things to them, and you have to guess what the person mouthing words is saying. So our last idea, you know, you're loopy. It's late at night. You want to have some fun after doing it seven times. You're like, I can't see this exercise for an eighth time. We've got to do something a little bit different. So we had Harvard's coaches play the whisper game for us in our final thing. And the final sentence I had Sonam Singh say, who's the associate head coach, say to his head coach, Andrew Rube, is the sentence was, Howie, meaning Howie Endelman, the Columbia head coach, Howie is a better coach than me. And so Sonam's mouthing and he goes, Howie, Howie. And finally, so you hear Andrew goes, How Howard Endelman. And it's like, yeah, okay, that's the one. Howie goes, is better at and then he goes coaching than me and Andrew goes I'm not saying that and the entire <laughs> the entire Harvard team goes oh <laughs> like just a like the most visceral wonderful this is what sports is all about moment and <laughs> I have no idea where that story came from Chris Hallior's it was just a tangent oh it came from the fact that you said uh, Taki is what we learned from Luciano Tachi I just want you to know that's gonna come out and it's the single best bit we've ever done. Like, it's just, you will watch the Harvard team in unison go, oh! <laughs> and it's just like, oh! I don't know, man. It's going to be tough to beat Pikachu in the Philippines. I know. Pikachu. What was Pikachu doing in the Philippines? And you're like, and I think I do a pretty good Enzo Aguiard. Like, honestly, because I heard that. Like, what is Pikachu doing in the Philippines? Um, shout out to the ITA. They did a killer job getting all this social media stuff. Again, all of them driven. Anyways, let's rein it back in. Chris Halioris. This is a good match. Like, I don't know what I, if I learned that much about this. Like, I guess here's my question coming out of this. Is Wake Forest favored against Arizona tomorrow? Did they look that good in your mind? Obviously, this was a flushing match, so you saw more of it than I did, but I'm just curious. Man, I mean, they're they're the higher seed team and they should be, but I, I don't I don't know. I mean, the way Arizona performed today, I it's tough and and wake should be should be the team with more indoor experience uh everything should point you there but somehow you look at it and you're just i, I don't know you you're just so impressed with what arizona did today uh, this is just going to be a battle i'll tell you it, it was my first opportunity to really to see a whole lot of dk suresh the the transfer in from georgia gwinnett who's only won like you know nine million straight national championships in nia in a row <laughs> uh but uh that I, he was he was super impressive. He's not not a hugely muscular looking guy, but man oh man, the lankiness that he, when he that he brings everything you think about leverage when you have that kind of body and his ability to serve and serve plus one and just create free points for himself and big long lever on the forehand. He just looked outstanding. I think it's going to be a great match, and to me. I still I need to see against this good good competition 
the four, five, six battle. So I would need to see that, you know, I need to see those guys at the bottom of the lineup battle the four, five, six for Arizona. And, and I think that's going to be to me where this match will be won or lost. Yeah. It's going to be really fun uh, to watch these two teams compete because there's a little bit of team of destiny to this Arizona squad. Just again, they have that extra it factor, right? They have that sum is greater than the whole of the parts that, dare I say, you need to succeed in this sport, particularly in a year where parity is going to be a defining feature. And it's just so clear this team believes in itself so unequivocally. It's so clear this Arizona team is willing to go down swinging. It's also quite clear Man, Wake Forest has options. Like, they can beat you through any possible permutation of segue to four points. And, you know, again, to have Maroney come back up against Gavin Young the way that he did, extraordinarily impressive thing that's going to get overlooked. And really, when Maroney took that opening set, you didn't start the plane, but you packed the bags if you were a Michigan fan and thought, okay, this match is probably done. Um 4-3. Like, it just feels like a 4-3 match either way. I'm thankful I don't have to make predictions. Final thoughts on this. And any Michigan-Texas thoughts maybe you have, if you want to sneak them in, belong to you. Yeah, well, like you you said it. If you look at the score, you're not going to know. You see Maroney 7-6-2-1 when the match finished. Gavin Young was up 5-2 double break, uh, you know, serving for the set twice and couldn't get it done. So, yeah, Mar- great match from Maroney. I yeah I think that's going to be I, I I have no idea honestly which way that match is going tomorrow but I'm with you I just feel like we know these Arizona parts so well they are they are the team you said it perfectly they're the team that where the team is you know the sum is greater than the parts and you I think I just got to ride with that team but man th- this Wake team surprises me you know day in day out. The Michigan Texas match for the for the consolation. Holy cow! I don't. If we don't see Waldeeb, you know, no Waldeeb, no Jonah again. Michigan's going no no Nino. It's like a battle of banged up teams, and it you know you have to think there's no way Texas is losing again. But if they're that banged up and these guys come out and play like that again, it could absolutely happen. And boy, you know, you said this was a disaster. If they come out zero and two. That is an absolute disaster. They can't let that happen. So I got to believe Coach Burks, you know, he's rallying the troops and figuring out what they're going to do tomorrow to make sure that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's just, uh, again, yeah. <laughs> I'm not I'm not sure what I'd be more shocked at. Uh, I think it's the, f- the, the first that I'm about to mention, but the North Carolina women losing two matches at indoors or the Texas men losing two matches I- at indoors? It's got to be North Carolina women, but but that's how how surprised I would be if Texas loses another match here. Chris Hellier, I'm not ready to cry openly on a podcast. Let's save that for next week when mentally I'm just fried and then it'll make sense because I'll be crying tears of joy. I'll just be crying because it'll just be the easiest thing to do at that point. But it's going to be a fun one. Again, Arizona taking on Wake Forest. I believe, Chris Hallioris, that is our 6.30 match. Uh, I want to say it is our 6.30 p.m. quarterfinal over at Flushing. Of course, we'll have that for you on our Crack Rackets YouTube channel. Next up, quarter I want to talk about, Chris, top left of the draw. It was our nightcap here at Columbia and unfortunately, if you're a Columbia fan, it saw the Lions fall. Now, oh, 
was the level in this match extraordinary. And the number one singles battle between Cooper Williams and Michael Zhang is exactly what two top 15 players going head-to-head is supposed to look like. But this result to me, Chris Halioris, is a testament to the aggressive scheduling of Andrew Rube early in this season. For this Harvard team to have seen everything that could be thrown at them through the first six weeks, states against Michigan, at Memphis, at Louisville, UCLA obviously home for the kickoff weekend, a Northwestern team that continues to age pretty well throughout the course of these first six weeks. Like, they've been every. I forget what the commercial is for, Chris Hallers, but you know, I've been everywhere, man. I've been everywhere. <laughs> like, that's kind of Harvard to this point. And it's not that Columbia hasn't been tested. They've played UNC. They've played uh, Wake Forest. They've gotten uh, a win over Kentucky as well. Or a, a match against Kentucky. Tennessee, not Kentucky. Thank you. Tennessee as well. I don't know, man. Harvard just came out really, really well. Like, to me, this match had everything to do with Harvard playing well. Nothing to do with Columbia giving it away. I was extraordinarily impressed with the Crimson. By the way, much like the Texas match, there was a brief window there for Columbia where they dropped doubles. It's three first sets apiece, but after being going uh, pretty much without a break point through the first 14 games of the match. Michael Zhang breaks Cooper Williams back to level things in the second. After getting blown out 6-1 in about 22 minutes on court number three, Nick Kotzen starting to work his way back. He's on serve deep in the second. You also have his brother Alex Kotzen taking a pivotal uh, number two singles first set, 7-6 as well. And you know, again, with those three things happening, Hugo Hashimoto closing out his straight set win at five. Um, I'm blanking who played four for Columbia today, but he gets a straight set win. Oh, Max Westfall, Westfall over Ronan Jatchuk. Yeah. Like, momentum started to, like, it was going the way of Columbia. And I need to say this as well. Shout out to the fans here at the Milstein Tennis Center. There are fans that show up, and then there are fans who know what to do when they show up. And tonight at Milstein, you had not only a Columbia crew that knew what to do, you had the Harvard tennis to Goldman Sachs pipeline out on the sideline as well. And you had Harvard fans making just as much noise, being just as passionate, Chris Halioris. I mean, these teams are going to play again at least one more time this season. Put you know, Mark the date on your calendar. I thought this was a really high-level match. Your thoughts on the 4-2 win for the Crimson? Yeah, I mean... I think to me the the surprise I can't say it's a big surprise but just the way that it that it ended up going that they needed was getting Cooper Williams you know the freshman for them playing number one a big time match against Michael Zhang and that's they needed that kind of performance from him to bring them along look they I said before the match coming in. I felt like that the the Kentucky road trip was a tough one for them. They struggled. They lose at Kentucky. They go four three with Louisville, and it takes Cooper Williams seven five or seven six in the third to win it. Uh, and you know this is just another level up from there. I, I was worried, and man oh man, to go into Columbia and beat these guys. I mean Williams, Malofsky, that that was the key along with along with doubles and. I yeah I honestly even though it was an eight nine match I really did not see this coming I I was more surprised by by that 
than I am Arizona beating Texas. I just didn't see this one coming. Yeah, I mean, the thing was at home, right? That's just you yeah. think with Harvard. Yeah, Columbia the, at home where yeah. they just took care of Tennessee yeah. fairly comfortably, and we all know what kind of team Tennessee is. Yeah, no, this had everything to do with Harvard, and it's not exactly a hot take to say Cooper Williams is as good as advertised. Cooper Williams is as good as advertised. Chris, I don't know if you've seen the point yet, but you have to scroll back right now, like this exact moment on my Columbia 2 feed. Five all, deuce point, second set, Michael Zhang serving, let cord serve. What does Cooper Williams do? Chris Hellier, so I'm going to stand and show you. A jump, flick return behind the wrist that somehow doesn't just go service line or deeper. Like, it lands on the baseline. It was an effective bump return. He goes on to win the point. And then you watch the quality of him serving it out. Go watch the match point between he and Zhang. Your jaw will hit the floor. There's a reason he's already top 15 in the ITA rankings. This kid is legit. I will also say for Harvard, they've been playing around at the number six spot. Is it Masato, uh, Masato, excuse me, Pereira? Is it, I want to call him Voldemort again, but Valdemir Pape, um, who I'm just going to start calling him Tom Riddle because I think that's a good deep cut for those of us who know. He was just like, I'm sorry, he put his... In that second set breaker, Chris. You, this, I, these, see, this is why I like this pod so much. When I start, dry, that's when you know uh, yeah. that that it's late night. But like he, that's what he said. Here's my, I'm going down swinging. Like whatever you can do, crowd or um, whatever you can do, opponent. I'm blanking on who his opponent was. The Sasha sophomore Paul, Sasha. Yeah. Thank you, Sasha, for uh, for Columbia. That's where again, like I'm not writing off Columbia. That team is really good. This though tells you this is the Harvard team that I think coaches expected to see to start the season, right? Because in the coaches poll, I think I've, if Harvard wasn't ahead of Columbia, they were right next to them. And obviously in our poll, we had Columbia over Harvard to start the season. The truth is it's an either or. The truth is the parody is real right there at the top of the Ivy League. And I think the scariest part, Chris Aliors, is legitimately these are two top eight teams. And look, I mean, like... Harvard looked better today, certainly relative to expectations, than their opponent uh, tomorrow, Ohio State, did relative to their expectations to start the day. And so I guess the question is, before we get into Ohio State, before we get into the preview specifically, am I on to something here, Chris? I know, again, this was a me match and you were a little bit locked into Michigan Wake Forest, but this felt more like a Harvard went out and won the damn thing than it felt like, hey, maybe we had Columbia a little bit too high. Like, that's my read on this one. Am I crazy for thinking that? No, I don't think you're crazy for thinking that. Yeah, I, th- I think they they went out and took it, and it was the kind of match that they needed to have. They The last couple matches, they they weren't great. They managed to escape, you know, with a one-in-one road trip, but but – Coming in here, yeah, they needed to come out and, and show uh, uh, on what is effectively a road match here because they're playing on Columbia's home courts that they could do it and uh, and against a conference foe. You know, the, the only thing I come out of here with is, man, oh, man, I wish the Ivy League would adopt a conference tournament. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I could – I want to see this match three times this year. I mean, this – ah. Boy, but no, Harvard absolutely. They came. They they took it. They won the match, and and they deserve it. 
Yeah, it was so, so impressive. Uh, again, a credit to the Crimson. They were excellent today. I think Columbia's going 2-1 and one in the back draw. Like, I just I think it's going to be really hard to beat them here twice in one weekend with that crowd. Again, Harvard knows this group. That's the difference. There's a little more institutional know-how between these two squads than there will be for others coming to try and challenge Columbia here throughout the rest of the weekend. And I can't emphasize this enough. Shout out to the Columbia staff, Chris. I think I gained five pounds today. I think I had like four slices of pizza, six different danishes, two brownies. Like at one point someone goes, here's a turkey sandwich. You have to eat this. So I was like, all right, I guess I'm eating this turkey sandwich. Um, Shout out to, again, the Columbia staff. And by the way, I don't know. You know what? I'm just going to say it anyways. You know who became a lean cuisine this offseason, Chris Halioris? Howard Endelman. Like whatever his offseason program is – I don't need to sign up because I'm still in shape, but you should sign up, uh, Chris Hellyers. <laughs> like, shout out to him. Man looks really good. And I'm, I'm just, I just want to say, as someone who also lost some serious weight at one point in life, like, man, I was impressed. I just want to say, like, as it, as much by him as anyone on the roster as well. Just let me know when I get to insert the. Oh, there it is. <laughs> I'm gonna quack that out immediately. But I want you to know that I laughed. Um, but. I don't know if everyone else would laugh at that joke, so I um, we're going to quack that out. Uh, but still, I laughed. Nevertheless, shout out to you. Uh, uh, yeah, I mean, look, Harvard was really good. Now they get the test of tests, though, obviously, facing the Ohio State team that probably came in. Not probably. They came in as the prohibitive favorites, uh, just given the track record, given what they did again in the six weeks running up to this national indoor event. But I guess the question as we look at this result, a 4-2 win for Ohio State. Alabama takes doubles. It's a sudden death doubles point uh, at the number two position where Nakashima and Cash down a break multiple times in the set were able to continue to scrap their way through it, continue to work their way back. But, man, in the end, I was so impressed by Junior Philip Planinchek, uh, Planinchek, excuse me, and uh, what was it? It's Andre uh, Zimnak, excuse me, the freshman, who get a 7-5 win over Cash and Nakashima. You combine that with the win from the juniors, Foster, Aguiard, 6-4 at the top spot over Boulay and Luchanig. It's a 1-0 lead for Alabama. And right away, like you take notice as a fan because, look, the Alabama pathway against the best teams, it's pretty darn clear. Doubles, 1-2-3, much like they did against Kentucky. Chris Halioris, you know, three wasn't the option because Tracy did his thing. But once again, Alabama comes out. And for what it's worth, Philip Planinchek, he gets a 6-6 six and six win. What was a really good match over Cannon Kingsley. And so Aguiard wins the first set, 6-4 against Justin Boulay. They're on serve, 6-all in the second as things begin to tighten. But again, as we discussed in our preview... It just felt like the pathway for Alabama was so narrow. And I think in the end, you saw that manifest itself as, you know, J.J. Tracy, 3-1. and one, He was off the court in about an hour. Alex Bernard, 2-0 and oh at the sixth spot. Given his indoor struggles to start last season, he was playing a different sport than junior Zach Foster at that number six spot. And that's not meant to criticize Foster. That's meant to compliment the luxury it is of having Bernie at six. Zach Foster was feeling the burn by the end of that match. Here's the thing, though, Chris Halliorce. Here's the takeaway as we look 10,000-foot view at this match. Jack Anthrop, Robert Cash at 4-5. and five. They both ultimately get straight-set wins. They were both down breaks 
in each of the sets that they played. In the case of Anthrop, was down an early break in the first. I think he was down 3-1 in the second. In the case of Cash, same deal, down early breaks uh, in both sets before ultimately working his way back. He actually served for the second set up 6-5 before sophomore Roan Jones broke him to force the breaker. Cash ultimately able to close things out. I ask the same question. A 4-2 win for the Buckeyes, does this do more in your mind to knock Ohio State as we move forward in this tournament? Or is this just proof that, hey, you know, that Bama win over Kentucky and the seven-match win streak they entered this event on, that shit was real. Like, I think I lean towards the latter camp because I don't think Ohio State, they didn't play their best. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. But they weren't bad today. Alabama just matched the level. Yeah, it's it's definitely the latter, right? I mean, the, look, Ohio State still won and won, you know, on the scoreboard fairly comfortably. But to your point, they got pushed across the board. They dropped a match at one. They dropped a set at two. They were down breaks and sets at four and five. I mean, they, you know, the only way place they got out of there easy was J.J. Tracy and, and Alex Bernard. And that was all about these Alabama kids pushing them to the limit. I think it speaks to the fact that Alabama and, you know, well, it, it'll play out. Obviously they're going to get tested in the sec. They're going to get plenty of opportunities to show that, that they're right there, you know, in, in the sec right now, I think we have to be thinking, yeah, Tennessee's probably the class right now. South Carolina's banged up with no Thompson, Kentucky's eh. And then there's a whole bunch of teams that include Mississippi State, Alabama. I mean, there's a there's a bunch of them in there. And are, is Alabama going to be right there in that group? Can they get all the way up to right behind the Tennessee group? It's very, very possible. It'll play out. But I think they showed very well. Look, I'm I'm what impressed me the most to your point was that doubles result. The fact yeah, that was Robert, I could that was fucking Good double. Like, Alabama was so aggressive. They said, f*** it. Let's swing. Yeah, look, we've talked about it before. You could put Robert Cash with anybody and yeah. win. They put Robert Cash at two with a guy in Bryce Nakashima that's got serious double credentials on his resume. 100%. And they still 100%. That is unbelievable to me. So Alabama is obviously playing some good doubles. 10 million percent retweet agree. Well, I felt really millennial there saying retweet um i'm sorry to god honestly for saying that out loud that that touched your ears you're better than i know i'm better than that by the way can i make a god joke it's not a god joke but it's a make fun of your nephew whom we both love dearly joke so he is that okay do i have permission i'm I'm here for that he's your nephew so again i text sean mamie trevor fauche in a group chat um (laughs) that um uh, you know, they're like, are, are you going to are you gonna be at Flushing? Are we going to see you today? And I was like, oh, no, like, I'm not going to be there, but I'm going to be there spiritually. Shout out to Trevor Fauché who goes, look at you, Gruskin, getting spiritual. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, I don't think my spiritual is the spiritual you're thinking of. I was like, and I literally texted him. I'll read the text to you because I always say, if you're going to make a joke in private, you should make it in public as well. And this one's, I think, a pretty funny one. Uh, my exact sentence to Trevor in response I don't possess apostles, so I sent you a Nicholas Gruskin instead. 
Um, I thought that's pretty good. Like, isn't that pretty funny? Because like, I was like, look, I can't be there, but I'll send you one of my followers, like Nicholas Gruskin. Do you approve speaking for Christianity? Wow, that's I, well, you're talking to the wrong guy to speak for any of your sides. I'm I'm not with any of you, but uh, but I, I still approve. I, I yeah. approve from the from the humor side. That's what I'm saying. I think that's just objectively a good joke. And so, shout out to you, Trev, uh, for I want to know. He said, "Ha ha." response while quietly probably damning me to an eternal life in in the pits um that's not true first of all i love trevor i love religious people do what you gotta do folks that's should we do 10 minutes on politics we've done religion now can i talk uh let me ask you this just a hypothetical just a hypothetical (laughs) never mind i'm not gonna ask you the hypothetical but let me just say i wish i had 350 million dollars to lose uh in fraud and i do not and you know, again, being here in New York, I think they're going to find ways to use that $350 million wisely. So anyways, we'll leave that little line in there. That's a little kernel for the longtime listeners. Chris, the back half of this pod's going to be faster because there's some Columbia staff giving me not the nicest looks. They're kind of like, get the F out of here. We want to close this down and go to bed. Um, but Ohio State Harvard, your lean on that match. What do you think and what's your preview? Uh, East, I mean, obviously you got uh, – I'm going to lean Ohio State – all the way until they lose, and I don't think they're going to lose. But uh, so, um, yeah, I'm I'm sticking with Ohio State. I, it was a great match from Harvard, and and look, the 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 story is going to be, you know, for a for a Harvard win, it's going to look pretty similar. They're going to have to get uh, they're going to have to get Cooper Williams to do his job up top. You're just not going to beat that Ohio State team very successfully down low. So somewhere between you know, doubles and the top three, <laughs> top four, because doubles in the top three is only four points. Man. They better find something because, boy, I don't know how you're beating, you know, Cash at five and Bernie at six indoors. Deloy had a really tough day at five. I do actually think his weapons, the pace he plays with, it'll make Robert Cash uncomfortable at five. Like, that's the sneaky matchup that I think they steal. Anthrop and Bernie at four and six. It's tough for Harvard. Ronan Jatchuk has it in him. For sure he does. The Harvard top four is real good. But I actually think doubles, one, two, three, and five, like those would be the points I'd turn to. Um, if And three, like you're going to pick against J.J. Tracy before the calendar hits April. Like yeah, do you have no. any sense of the history? No. So like one, two, five, and you're going to bet against Cat Or Kingsley's going to lose tw- two days in a row? Like – yeah, no. it's, yeah um, don't see that coming. It's really hard to make an argument against this Ohio State team. But here's the thing. If you're Harvard now, you kind of get to say F- it, right? Like this yeah. was that first match. That was your Super Bowl. That was your national championship. Now you get to just roll the balls out and swing freely. Now, here's the thing. Ohio State didn't play their best. And hell hath no fury like an Ohio State team coming out a little bit scorned uh, out of the gates. Harvard is good. You know, again, Harvard is certainly, if Alabama can do it, like there's no reason Harvard can't put forward that similar performance and push the Buckeyes because just that's one of my themes, my takeaways from day number one. Everyone at this event is pretty darn good, Chris Halioris. And with that in mind, any final thoughts on that? Are you ready to move over to the other side of the draw? Oh, let's roll. All right, let's roll to the other side of the draw, the bottom half of our draws. We're going to go through these matches a little bit quick, more quickly because, uh, obviously, I would argue a little bit less interesting, a little bit uh, more straightforward in terms of results we saw unfold. 
Duke had a moment, certainly, against Virginia where it looked like they had that opportunity to, you know, maybe if Andrew Zhang can take advantage of an underhand serving in Yaki Montez with, you know, Rodesh breaks back to extend that second set for a moment at one. You had Garrett Johns break back to level that second set against Dylan Dietrich at two. Like, there were certainly little pockets for Duke that were impressive. To have the freshman Alex Visser straight sets over Mons Dahlberg at six, Visser looked the part. Chris Halliors, my little brother, according to his eyes, he goes, I think Visser's the second best player on Duke today. Maybe as good as anyone's playing right now, like the parody in that lineup. Both Krugs fought their ass off, I thought, at the four and six spots. And again, uh, four and five spots, excuse me, and like... Krugs have been in and out of the lineup for this Duke team. I guess Connor was a little bit more constant last season, but I was really impressed by the level of the Krugs. You know, again, it was 3-0 Virginia. They won doubles very straightforward. That's what lost Duke this match. Duke was very bad start the, out of the gates in doubles. If they would have made that more competitive, I do think there was a world where Duke pulled off the upset today because, again, Krug takes a— You know, here's the theme. Virginia wins doubles, one and two in straight sets. Duke got first sets at three, four, five, and six. So there was absolutely a moment where this was a real match. You know, I forget exactly the game it came in. I think it was three, four, or whatever in that third set where Krug did not like a couple of calls that went against him against von der Schulenberg. I had no problem with the calls personally. Margins are always going to be that thin, but... Again, if Jeffrey von der Schulenberg is playing number four singles, Jeffrey von der Schulenberg should win there every time he plays it. And in the end, if you're Virginia, Rodesh, von der Schulenberg doubles. And then the single most significant thing, of course, Dylan Dietrich beating Johns in straight. You want Nicholas Gruskin's top all-star of the day? He was like, I might have to dye my hair blonde. He was like, legitimately, he's like, that might be the next decision for me to be Team Dietrich moving forward. He, was, he literally comes up to me, he's like, and... Sometimes I listen to Nick and I'm like, like, cite your sources. I'm like, if you're just going to steal all my bits, like at least say, Alex, I'm stealing your bits. But he comes up and he's like, Dietrich is so tall in person. He's like, I didn't think he was that long. I was like, did you listen to yesterday's pod? I was like, just tell me. Like, I know you're not listening. He's like, yeah, I know he doesn't listen. So I was like, you really are my brother. Um, anyways. Duke fought 4-1 in name only. Like, they were up four first sets. Andrew Zhang losing that second set to me, like, no disrespect. It speaks to Nyaki as a competitor that he can win a set serving underhand against a guy as good as Andrew freaking Zhang. And again, real easy to say sitting in this broadcast booth, Andrew, you have to hit approach shots off the serve. You have to keep pushing forward. Let him pass you, but eventually he's going to miss. You know, Montez makes three passes in a row. It gets in your head real quick because you know he's capable of that from the ground. Anyways, who this match tell you more about, Chris? UVA or Duke and why? Man, I mean, it at least told me Duke. <clears throat> I think what it told me is Duke can fight better at the bottom of the lineup than I thought they could. Uh, you know, I, I've i not been all that impressed. I Like I said, when they when they beat Kentucky, I saw one pathway for them to beat Kentucky, and that was doubles one, two, three, because I didn't think they could beat Kentucky down at four, five, six. Uh, and I think Duke showed me something. Like you said, Connor goes three sets with Vonder Schulenberg. Uh, you know, they they get a win at six. They're they're up a set at at five when they finish. 
that that showed me something for for Duke. I'm in the in the long run. I don't think I'm overly I'm not overly worried about Virginia. I'm worried about that bottom after seeing after seeing this. They got to be better at five and six than they were. And, you know, God forbid, you can make all the excuses you want. If you can't beat a guy that's just starting a rally with a forehand, which is what Inyaki was doing, it's, you know, you know, I and I heard you call it out on the on the, the stream. It wasn't even an underhand serve. It was a legit here. I'm just going to hit a forehand as if we're playing practice rallies. And if you can't take advantage of that, man, that's that's just not good that I, I was. I, I mean, obviously super impressed the way Inyaki fought back after getting sort of beat up in the first set to come back and win 6-2. Um, but I was, you know, midway through that first set or the end of the first set, I was thinking to myself, I can't wait to hear the coaches. We're going to have a committee meeting about whether they should even be allowed to play him because he's just holding a spot and can't win. And then he splits sets and he's up Crazy. to one in the third when they Crazy. finish. Crazy. And, and now I don't even think you can have that argument. I honestly don't know if I would want to have that argument because if I'm the team playing Virginia, I want him in there. If I got a guy at three that I think should be able to beat that, I want him in there in that position. Say, give me the free point. I will take it. 10,000%. If you can't beat Inaki Montez serving underhand at three, you don't deserve to beat this Virginia team. Because they're they're not giving it to you on a silver platter. Like again, this is the age old test of what if tennis was ground stroke games? What would it all look like? Like it is fascinating, and I used your line. You might have heard me cite you uh, because that's what I do when I steal material. I cite my sources. Where I literally said Chris Hallioris texted me, and he's right. He's not hitting an underhand serve. He's straight up hitting a forehand and just hoping it lands in the service box. Like, by the way. I looked up grit in the def- in the dictionary earlier today, and it was just in Yaki's photo. Like, that's ridiculous from Montez because Andrew's f- good. And, like, I, it's just – it speaks to this – the metal of this group, this team. Again, we're talking Nicholas Gruskin takes. He walks off. He's like, God, is Chris Rodesh is the guy. He's like, can we stop having this conversation? He's just like, Rodesh is the guy. He's like – Rudesh not only has these ridiculous weapons, he's one shot better than you as well. And again, he handled Pedro Rodinas, who lost like twice last year total. Um, Virginia looked the part, Chris Hallioris, and now they're going to face a Tennessee team who I believe the last time they saw them, might have been the regular season last year, certainly 2022 NCAA semifinals. Virginia knocked off Tennessee on their way to that NCAA final Tennessee, probably the most dominant win of the day outside of TCU. Certainly the most dominant win we saw today here um, at Columbia. That's how you say that in English, Chris. That's how you, I'm running out of sentences. Let's go, let's go, let's go. Uh, I'm winding myself back up. Boom, boom. That's a slap to the face. Um, you like that, Chris? Can you confirm I did slap myself? You did slap yourself. Yeah. Could you hear it? Did you hear the contact? Yeah, it was a little soft. Uh, oh, I was gonna say I did that way too hard. <laughs> like, yeah. I don't know why I did that. That was dumb. <laughs> um, that slap though was similar to what Tennessee did to USC. And look, USC is without Steph. Like they had to have doubles. And I do think the single most impressive thing for USC is they actually hung really tough 
in that doubles point. They actually hung really tough to start in singles as well, given no Steph, the fact that, you know, again, 6-4 set from Waitman, who's up 6-4-5-3 on Pajanka. You know, the freshman Ikebenko, 6-3-4-3 up on Apple Tower. And by the way, the moment you knew there was no Steph and you started to look at the matchups, given it was freshman versus freshman, you felt like USC had to sweep those freshman versus freshman battles because of the disparity in playing experience everywhere else. And like, to USC's credit, they almost came out and did the damn thing, right? If if they take what was a very competitive doubles point, uh, again, came down to two and three, both tight down the home stretch. If they take those uh, that doubles point, they might walk out of here with a victory because not only were the freshmen up, but Carl Lee, 6-3-5-4 lead on uh, Jonas Lalami. By the way, it feels like when, not if, Angel Diaz will be into that number five position spot over Lalami, at least as long as Tennessee's playing indoors. But, you know, again, as much as USC stayed descript in the spots where there was a clear-cut Tennessee advantage, that advantage manifested itself. Like, Johannes Monday, 1-2 over Peter Mock. Shinsuke Mitsui, 4-1 over Ludwig Weststraight. And, by the way, Weststraight broke back for 1-2 in that second set. Four straight games for Mitsui to close it out. Was so efficient down the stretch. And then Angel Diaz, 4-2 and two over Sam Rubel. Do I say the text, or does it stay between us? Let's stay between, <laughs> stay between us. Stay between us. Stay between us. But shout out to you, Chris. Thank you for laughing. I just, I love these days. I just, I know what you're going to tell me before you say it. I also bet you know exactly what I'm going to respond before you hear it. And it's just like... I love that our friendship, seven years in or however long it's been now, I still smile every time. I'm just like, this idiot. Like, I just, how did I meet this man? What a, talk about online relationships going correctly. Um, you swiped the right way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thoughts on the match. <laughs> yeah, look, I, um, uh, even though this was a 4 score line. <laughs> yeah. All right, go ahead. I was I was very impressed with the fact that, like <laughs> you said, at three, four, five, USC looked like they. I mean, they were within one to two games in each of those matches of closing them out for three points. But uh, you know, they just weren't close in the other matches. It really did all come down to doubles for them and in, in having a chance. But I think that's you know, honestly, that's actually better. Than I thought they were going to be able to do against this team, uh, you know, minus Steph. I was was very encouraged to see Waitman finally in the singles lineup, and then against a guy like Pajanka that's looked tremendous and who's got a great game for indoors to be up six four five three. That's a big big sign for for USC while they wait for Steph to come back. Uh, so I, I'm in, I'm encouraged even though we know it's going to be a rough stretch while they wait to get Steph back. And the other thing you mentioned, the, the Angel Diaz thing, not only, and I've made this comment, you know, to, to, to our friends on the coaching staff, I don't think Angel Diaz stays at six. I don't even think he stays at five. His game is not suited to the bottom of a lineup grind. He likes to slap. He likes to hit the ball. I think he ends up at four eventually, and to me, that the lineup that they end up with is their top three that they've got. And then Diaz at four. And then they're playing, you know, some combo of Apple Tower, Lalami. And when we get outdoors, Chris Lee, uh, and they've got lots of options. But it's a super deep team for them. They've got all kinds of options. 
uh, but just too too much for for a staffless USC team indoors. All right. Well, in that spirit, again, UVA uh, taking on Tennessee. Would you you know again looking at how both of these teams competed today? What, what do you uh, which way are you leaning? What do you expect to see in that quarterfinal? Which by the way leads off our day tomorrow 9 a.m. here at Columbia. Yeah, I think I mean obviously the, what what I want to see is Monday versus Rodesh. I mean, oh, what a match! <laughs> that that's the match I want to see. The beyond that, what I really want to see is the five six matchups because that's where I'm very concerned at this point uh, about about Virginia and. And do they, I mean, I, I have to wonder, I don't know if I, I don't know if coach Pedroso, you know, I really, and you're, we're never going to know the the actual answer to this. I wonder if in his own head, he's thinking I can afford to play in Yaki, even if I think he loses to hold the spot, or do I legit think Inyaki can actually win a match now at, at three and and it's and I should be playing him there, and it's not just to hold a spot. I don't know. I just can't believe that you think it. But now you're going to get a freshman in Pajanka. I'm playing him for sure. Like uh, you know, make the freshman show me that he can do it. And it's a freshman that's probably not. You know, Pajanka's his specialty is not going to be the ground game. If he can't, if he can't find a way to come in on that that forehand serve of Inyaki's. Inyaki's going to give him all kinds of trouble. So that'll be, you know, I, on one hand, it's super interesting, but it's super interesting to watch for a couple games and then it gets really boring. Like <laughs> you're just like, this is, oh, it's so hard to watch just to, and, and you're just so disappointed that that's the shape he's in, you know, nothing he can do about it. He's got a bum shoulder and he can't serve. Um, but it's not, it's not what you want to see. Uh, but I, boy, oh boy. I, I just feel like you have to win. If you're Tennessee and they play Montez, you have to win that match. You have to at least do no worse than splitting those bottom two. You should be better in doubles. I actually am going to lean to the lower seed here and go Tennessee. It's fascinating because I actually think Montez is a horrible matchup for Pajanka. The one thing you cannot give Philip Pajanka, Chris, is time. And I think that's actually what I was most impressed with by Oscar Waitman today. He he saw that game plan clearly, and he said, all right, I'm just going to rush him to that forehand wing. I'm going to rush him to that backhand wing. I'm just not going to let this guy take clean rips because when he does, oh, my goodness, is he powerful. The matchup that, like, you're right, Monday versus Rodesh, but Dietrich versus Mitsui. Like, yeah. oh. <laughs> and then, look, if you're Tennessee – Diaz at six has to beat Dahlberg. That's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. You know, that five singles position. I wonder if we even see Dahlberg again after it's today. A, it's a fair question. That five singles position, Lalami versus Kiefer, I don't think either guy played their best today. That's very much a swing match, toss-up sort of thing, and you probably lean Kiefer just based on experience. But, again, that's going to be a really fun one as well. It really comes down to, I think, who you th- who you feel more comfortable with in doubles because I think whoever takes that 1-0 lead, spoiler alert, I think they're going to find a pathway to three singles victories. I think it's going to be really hard to find four. Any final thoughts on this one, Chris Halliwars? You ready to move yeah, on to our final I, No, set? I completely agree. That's why I think I lean Tennessee is I just feel more comfortable in their doubles. Yeah, I mean, again, Monday and Diaz are ridiculous. Mitsui's in the cash category of, like, you and I wouldn't look horrible as his teammate as well because his speed, his hips. And by the way, 
Shout out to Pat Harper, who is named Patrick Harper on YouTube. And I called him Patrick, and it came out of my mouth. I was like, that was disgusting. Um, <laughs> Pat Harper, Emil Hud, supporting their boys. I always appreciate that. Luca Wiedemann chimed in, too. 100%. Shout out to the boys, as always. Appreciate them joining the stream. Appreciate their insight as well. No one knows the Vols better than their former teammates. So hopefully they continue to join us. Chris Alioris, final quarter. You watched this match. I didn't get to see a whiff of it because I was locked into our morning broadcast, and then I might have started cheating as we started to go later on in the day. But can you explain to me what happened in A&M, South Carolina? Because I know Texas A&M won for one. I got no f- clue how it happened. Yeah, I mean, it certainly wasn't the way I thought it happened. Look, this is the one and only upset that I actually called, right? I, I just said I, I, I'm leaning A&M here. Just because they've been so, I mean, they're getting overlooked. You know, you you look at a guy like Toby Samuel who loses this match in straight sets to Perot, albeit a second set breaker, 10-8. But Perot beats Spider like 2-0 from SMU. I mean, he has been playing tremendously well. They just rolled through the top four single spots against South Carolina and it's really starting to show that I, I still don't think that James Story is 100% healthy, but, you know, they have to play him because they have no Connor Thompson. I don't know if they're going to see Connor Thompson the rest of the year. And, and you you know, they've, they've struggled enough as it is with, you know, with both of them out. They can't afford to do it. They are playing Story at what I think is less than 100%. And, yeah, they just, they took advantage Perego looked great against Jelani Saar. J.C. Roddick just absolutely manhandled Casey Hool. You know, everything outside of that Roddick-Hool match, the rest of those top four matches all got close. Second sets came down. They were all five all in the second set, and A&M managed to get every single one of them, and that was the difference. They came up big when it got clutch and closed it out, you know, 4-1. Let me just ask you this hypothetical, because you talked about this earlier, and I meant to ask you as a follow-up, but I forgot to do it. They play right now. Who are you picking, South Carolina or Alabama? South Carolina. Really? So that's fascinating to I'm, me. I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm still – I'm very – I admit it. I'm sort of down on South Carolina right now with no Thompson, but – they're still dangerous. And like I said, they just, they just couldn't close anything clutch today. They got, they got down and they got, they were there. I mean, I said five all in the, you know, in three of those top four, they were also five all in the match on six that, that didn't go. And, and they were five all on five, like the second set, five of the six matches were at five all. They just couldn't do their, you know, they couldn't do their thing and and win any of, win any of those sets. They got none of them. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah. literally none. They lose seven six seven six seven five seven five, and one still at five all. Couldn't close it, but yeah. And I, and I do fear, you know, the the sort of momentum of a downward spiral. But at the same time, I just you know, 
it's sort of coming from two ends, Alabama coming from the bottom, uh-huh. shooting up, South Carolina coming from the top, shooting down. Until you get by them, I'm still going to stick with the Gamecocks. Well, I'm going to just go all gruesome here with the joke because we're 67 minutes in. With how much food I've been eating, Chris, here at Columbia, I, too, will be coming out for both ends uh, by the time this <laughs> weekend is over. Sorry. He laughed. Okay? I know my audience. I knew that was a joke that would have Chris Haligoris laughing. <laughs> and... <laughs> Never mind. Uh, here's what I'll say. I'm not going to explain the story. I promise, Chris. But I was talking to Macy, and <laughs> I was like, you know, it's kind of our fifth anniversary. Like, it's not quite five, but it's the fifth turn. You know, it's his fifth season at USC, and his first season they won the national indoors. That was the first one we called together. And do you remember the thing you did at the Airbnb that it's the four year anniversary of that would relate with that joke I uh, again I'm giving too many details here coming off of both ends but it's the four an- year anniversary of that as well you know what I'm talking about we're not uh, talking about the picture no <laughs> <laughs> no we're not talking about the picture uh we'll finish this conversation off my that sounded so fishy what happened at the house it actually like is the most innocent thing um but I'm just saying like that was the one time Chris Hallioris and I have roomed together and it was an absolute freaking blast we had such fun every day yeah, so, Gruskin broke grandma. Come on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, that's what I say. It's our five-year anniversary. Um, and so, anyways, sorry for the inside jokes. I just – I'm sad Chris isn't here. By the way, one, two, three, four different people asked, is Chris coming? And I got to gladly say, no, but here's my younger brother, Nick. Um, and didn't do it for him uh, for what it's worth. Uh, anyways – that was a lot of South Carolina talk. It's twofold. Just quickly, last thought on the Gamecocks. Fold number one is like relative to expectations. You beat Virginia in Charlottesville, first match of the season. Had Thompson's story been healthy with all the pieces they added, they haven't lived up to those expectations. The reality stone, the reality expectations of it all, Chris, is given no Thompson, given the injuries to story, given the fact that Darabagi, Saar, and to some extent, uh, Three names. De Silva. Three names. De Silva, thank you. Lucas De Silva, three names. Can I call him three name? Um, <laughs> De Silva. Like, they're all relative new starters to be counted on this frequently as contributors. So, like, it really shouldn't be star- like that startling that there have been this many ups and downs for South Carolina. On the flip side, we're five minutes, five and a half minutes in. We got to do more celebrating of A&M. Like, talk about a team that needed this Chris Hallioris like again a team that I've been beating the drum of they should be some is greater than the whole of the parts and it's just like it's just been a weird stretch since that 2021 Orlando run where they kind of had Florida in some serious trouble in the quarterfinals and then you know again it just things got a little funky for them every season after that where are you? What's what? What's the profile of this A&M team right now? Are they a tier one SEC contender? Are they in that tier two range maybe now? Like, is it is it Tennessee in a tier of its own? Are Tennessee, Kentucky, UVA, uh, Tennessee, UVA, Tennessee, Kentucky, A&M kind of all mixed in together with South Carolina at this point? Like, how big's your tier one? Where are you with the Aggies? Yeah, well, my tier one in the SEC right now really is Tennessee, yeah. and that's it. And I think. I think Kentucky's got work to do if they want to if they want to get there, but I do think that A and M is they're, they're right there. They're every bit as much there, right behind Tennessee as a Kentucky would be 
uh, as the South Carolina team would be. Uh, and, and look, I I just don't. I think part of the reason I've been you know a little more down on say a team like South Carolina than I have uh, say a team like Virginia is. I think the long-term health outlook here just isn't good. I don't think we're, you know, my gut tells me we're not seeing Connor Thompson back. And that that's concerning for me for the long-term outlook for this team. The long-term outlook for AM to me is great. I think they they will be battling for that number two spot in the SEC. And they're they're every bit as good as any of those teams in the SEC. Uh, I don't, I think it's a stretch to get them to battle Tennessee. I think Tennessee's just gonna stand out. But they for sure could finish second in the SEC. Yeah, I mean, they're really good. Like, it, it's a real team. And they have depth everywhere. They have a lot of pathways to four. I still don't know what they're best at. But, like, yeah, this team's the real deal. And now they get a real shot in the quarterfinals taking on a TCU team that's obviously the two-time defending champion of this event. And we're spending no more than two minutes on this match, Chris. All due respect to Arizona State, but, like, TCU flexed the muscles. And more than anything, for Maxted and Jirasek to get wins at 5 and 6, that's the spots they need confidence in because we know how good they can be 1 through 4. Are TCU now the co-favorites alongside of Ohio State after winning this? Were they always the co-favorites, Chris? Where are you with the Horn Frogs coming out of this Arizona State 4-0 win? Yeah, I mean, they definitely had to be the the, the co-favorites in, in my mind. And yeah, the Arizona State had one pathway to winning this match, and that was doubles one, two, three. Like that literally, that was the pathway. They didn't get doubles. You had to feel like the match was already over. Uh, and then at that point, you were just watching the matches on one and two just to see what kind of battle we might get. And we got good battles there. And we said, you know, that McKinnon at three would put up a battle, and they did. But look, just, I mean, four, five, six, Arizona State's just not that deep. TCU is, and to your point, you know, a great win from Jurisek, and you're definitely Roy not winning if you can't beat him. So it, uh, yeah, it yes! it was too much tennis, too or too much TCU at the bottom of the lineup. Oh, I'm glad it's in the lexicon now. Uh, it's it, that that's not going anywhere t- anytime soon. I just want you all to know. Yeah, TCU looked the part. Like again. Bohr and Murphy can beat anyone at one and two. They are that good, but TC is that good at one and two. They're that good at three and four, and they're starting to look real good at five and six as well as Jirsek and Max that continue to gain confidence. Chris Hallior, your thoughts on the All-Texas quarterfinal tomorrow? TCU A&M, what's your lean? What you looking for? Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's fascinating because I think we've seen, we've seen A&M tested, I will say, by, you know, upper third level tier teams but not top tier teams sure. yet this year. So they've had some good matches with some good schools. They've not had a match with a great school. And they've played top 16s. They haven't played top eight. Yeah, this is this is this is the intro to that. Uh, so yeah, this it's it's the end of my look. I called the the A and M. I called them winning the region at Georgia. It, it kind of an upset. I called them winning that first round match as an upset. That's where it's got to end for me with this with this team. I love this A and M team, but this TCU team is just too much. I don't see them being able to, being able to get by them. They're just up and down the lineup, just a little bit better everywhere. Yeah, it's a really good TCU squad. Again, A and M's good. 
you could argue TCU's on the pathway to being great, and sometimes good just loses to great. Straight up. That said, I'm fascinated to see this A&M team pushed by this caliber of team because you're right. It's a great litmus test for the Aggies early. That said, that's everything from day one of the 2024 ITA Division I Men's Team Indoor National Championships. Chris Halioris, did we miss anything? Are you ready to go get, what, five hours of rest before we hit the treadmill and start going for day two? Oh, man, day, I, I can't wait for, for day two. You know, I got to tell you, Greskin, I invented a contraction tonight in in texting about the these matches. Okay. It was, look, I, I was attempting to type, and I didn't do it on purpose. I was attempting to type, it's part of the battle, and it, and it came out, it apostrophe F, and I said, wow, that's, it's, it's battle and it was right there it's, it's a new contraction it if uh, i'm 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 keeping it and and that that's that's the way i felt about the day man it was a battle all of these even like you said at the start no four three matches but man it felt like we had some tight matches no four threes but only one four uh two four oh's a&m uh sorry tcu arizona state Tennessee USC, but Tennessee USC was only 4-0 because Lee, Ikebanko, and Waitman. Yeah, they had three matches about to go USC's way. TCU is the only match where it was very definitive who was winning from start to finish, and that speaks to the parity we have in the college tennis universe right now. The best part is we get to see that parity play out all tomorrow. Obviously going to be a fantastic quarterfinal day. Our coverage begins 9 a.m. on Saturday with Virginia, Tennessee. We'll have coverage of all four of our quarterfinals from start to finish. A shout-out as Always to our super producer, Daniel Westoff, for the of an editing job he does day in, day out, making all of our content possible. Again, a thank you to the entire ITA team, the staff here at Columbia. They have truly made this experience such a delight for me. That said, Chris Halliors, I want to go get some rest. So for you, my fantastic co-host in this venture, for our super producer, Daniel Westoff, and from all of us here at both Cracked Rackets and the Tennis Channel Podcast Network, I'm your host, Alex Gruskin. What do we tell all of our listeners, Chris? Hey. Great shot. And we will see you all tomorrow. Thanks, everyone.